From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And a happy new year, everybody. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope you're staying safe. And we hope you saw some kick-ass films over the holiday break. And hopefully, one of those kick-ass films that you saw was Red Rocket, which is actually still playing in theaters today. And we just so happen to be joined by the film's cinematographer today, the ever-talented, the ever-cool Mr. Drew Daniels. Drew, thank you for being here, sir. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. For those who have not seen the film or who don't know too much about the film, tell the audience a little bit about Red Rocket, if you can. Ooh, okay. Red Rocket is about a washed-up porn star who's basically been kicked out of Los Angeles by everyone he knows. He's on his like last legs, and he manages to scrape together a bus ticket back home to Texas City to leech off of his wife, his wife's mother. And you soon to find out that he's just a scumbag and... <laughs> And everybody has like distanced themselves from this guy. And we pick up with him as he's like trying to find a way back into like LA, back into porn, back into his old ways of being. What I want to ask you is how you kind of got involved with the film. Like, talk to us about how you and Sean Baker connected. Did he find you? Did you reach out to him? Yeah. So Sean actually found me. And, I, you know, I was really fortunate for me, at least, that um, Alexis Sabe, who shot the Florida Project, wasn't able to do this film and like originally he was going to do it and then had to pull out of it. So I came on board by way of recommendations from I think both the producer Alex Sachs and mm. my really close friend and collaborator Trey Schultz. They both recommended me to Sean and specifically Trey was like, hey man, if you're doing like a low budget film in Texas, like Drew is your guy. Because I lived in Texas. Right. And I remember uh, it's funny because when Alexis was theoretically going to shoot the film, he had actually reached out. Actually, no, Trey reached out for Alexis to me, you know, for like crew recommendations and stuff. So I like kind of threw a couple of names out there. And then, you know, like everything changed and then I ended up shooting the film. So then I was the guy looking for the recommendation. <laughs> right. Essentially, it was like, it was kind of like how it happened with Trey, you know, like I was recommended by a filmmaker and we got on the phone and started speaking the same language. And, you know, the rest is history. For those listening, that's kind of how most jobs are earned in this uh, in this industry is a recommendation and just vibing each other from there. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really, a lot of people ask me like, well, how do you do it? How do you get a break in the biz? And think it's so much of just like putting out the right vibes, the right energy. Yeah. And just saying yes and being like down, you know, and for this film, it was very much like you had to be down because it was tiny. <laughs> we, we, we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It sounds like an adventure from what I've heard. Before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the prep between you and Sean, the creative prep. I'm fascinated what his process is like. Is he a shot lister or are you guys just kind of like creating a, a mood together and, and then shooting from the hip on set? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It's funny because I remember when we were prepping, uh, Alex Coco, one of the producers, was like, you know, I think I think for our next movie, maybe 
maybe we just don't prep and maybe we just kind of like get into it and we do like a four, a four day week. And then we prep on the weekends and then, which basically means like you are working seven days straight. Right. <laughs> but he was like, I just think like with these films, they're so adaptive and like you're constantly adapting that like a lot of the prep, like the hard, you know, prep as far as like maybe like a diagram, you know, things like that, that you would normally do like lighting setups and specific shot lists and things like all of that stuff kind of gets thrown out the window. So really what we did, the prep that was the most beneficial to us was um, me and Sean, when we got to Texas to Galveston, you know, I lived with Sean for a few weeks at the beginning of prep. And we just spent days and days, me, Sean and Alex Coco pretty much in the van driving around and, you know, being like, Ooh, ah, we could do this here. Oh, oh, oh." I feel like that's where a lot of prep for me really happens is like those like scouts yeah those those conversations in the van or the truck or whatever that's really where most of the film came together was like talking references and talking ideas and just getting inspired while we're driving around because like it's such a blank page as you're driving around you're like oh we could do this scene here look at that thing oh man let's go check that out and then oh we've now we've got a this idea and then we'll we'll kind of retrofit the scene into this new location and get inspired and then find like a cool transition. But also Sean, to that point, I mean, we did shot list at the house, for instance, we spent, you know, like over a week at the house, just, just sitting there and kind of like acting out scenes. And I would, you know, get out the, the Artemis viewfinder and take some photos. And so, you know, things were really shot listed, but you know, we're working with a lot of non-actors let's say first time actors, Mm -hmm. we're working with a lot of first time actors. So, you know, you kind of have to like be adaptive to them and to the blocking. But to my surprise, man, like I was actually very surprised with how not shooting by the hip it was and how not run and gun it was. It was very like punk rock and like how we shot the film. Right. But when the camera was up, it was like on a tripod and the shot was like very fixed or very like precise. Yeah like the pan was going to be a very precise pan and we needed it for this very precise moment. And we would talk about the edits and how things would piece together on set or during prep. And that's what we would shoot. And we wouldn't really shoot a lot else. I mean, sometimes we'd cover our backs a little bit, but a lot of what we shot is in the film, you know, like for instance, the one at the end when, you know, we call it the breakup scene where he basically says he's going back to California. It's just one wide shot handheld for this really dramatic emotional scene and uh that's always shot you know yeah and i don't know that just kind of speaks to like sean's confidence as a director but also just you know talking about the ideas during scouting and prep and and then you know committing to them and following through with them yeah that's so cool to hear because i mean with Sean's film, and especially with this film, it, it has that combination of feeling the camera is like in the scene, in there, you kind of feel like a fly on the wall. So it feels like almost pseudo documentary because it's so, it feels so real, but it also feels all the shots feel, as you mentioned, very purposeful. Like we're in the hands of a master. He knows exactly what shot to use to evoke this emotion because I've watched the film a couple times right now. And the first time you're just kind of letting it wash all over you. And then the second time I was able to really dissect how the shots were telling the story and, and kind of like leading the audience down the rabbit hole is, is, is really cool to hear. Yeah, I would. that's interesting because 
I love shooting films and with like a really subjective point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with this film, there was a little bit more objectivity because with a character like Mikey, I don't think you want to like put the audience in that person's point of view necessarily. Right. I think you kind of want to have a little bit of a removal from him. So there was a little bit of that objectivity and like, oh, let's watch this guy do this terrible shit. (laughs) Right. Not like be in his head and be with him as he's doing it as much as like when I shoot with Trey, for instance, you know, we like to get really subjective and choose our character and go into their heads. Right. But this was a little bit more like, yeah, like as you're saying, objective, but then the the filmmaking is pretty precise and the shots are all saying something. And, and even like the, the coverage is all saying something, which Sean was really keen on doing unconventional coverage, you know, and that's something he laid out from the beginning with me, which is always a little frightening. You hear that and you're like, oh, what? what do they mean by that? <laughs> right. But then, you know, we started watching films as references. And once you start getting into the scenes and blocking it, you start figuring out how you can actually do that and say something and, and actually just be playful with it. I feel like a lot of my work and my cinematography, when I'm really having fun and being playful with the camera work, I feel like that's when things are really gelling and really, really working well. I really love the choice to shoot on Super 16. I think it's like the perfect stock choice. Was there ever any debate on which format you guys were going to use or which stock you were going to use? Or was that always like Super 16 was like 100% the way to go from the get-go? No, it was always the way to go. And even so much that Sean bought the camera. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, Sean Sean is like such a film lover. He bought the, the SR3 for the film. Which became its own challenge because, you know, we wanted to shoot anamorphic with these lenses from Panavision and Panavision doesn't want to rent the lenses without a camera. So we had to have, we had a backup body and et cetera, et cetera. But no, Super 16 was like always going to be a thing. Sean bought an anamorphic adapter as well. So it was always going to be Super 16 and, and he loves anamorphic. So, you know, it was going to be 16 anamorphic. Like even when I came on, like he's, he was already talking about that. Yeah. And it just happened to be that I was really, really keen. I was really interested at that point already in shooting on Super 16 anamorphic with these specific lenses from Panavision. And I've been asking my one of my DP buddies, Matt Mitchell, because he shot a documentary with those same lenses. And they're very like finicky. I mean, there's only two lenses in the set and there's only two sets in the world. And there are these lenses that were made for Steven Soderbergh I believe to shoot Che. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. He was going to shoot with that, with those lenses from Panavision and they, and he never did. So like they sat dormant for like a long time and then people lately have been shooting with them. So I found out about the lenses and started, you know, doing some research and then Sean hit me up about the film and it was like kind of like perfect that it, those two things happened to coincide. And so super 16 was always, always going to be the film. And I think, the interesting thing, and I, I love this, is Sean wanted 16, which we always think of like, oh, very gritty, yeah, you know, very textured, very gritty. But he didn't want to necessarily shoot the film in like a super gritty way because it's already the subject matter is so gritty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm just using the word gritty because we all understand that. Yeah, totally. So what he wanted was to shoot Super 16, but for it not to be so gritty. He wanted it to feel, you know, colorful and vibrant. And it made my job a little bit more challenging, but also really interesting because, you know, for me, that meant like more compositions. Mm -hmm. I wanted to shoot the lenses at like a really 
at a deeper stop, you know, like at a five, six, so we get like a sharper image out of the 16. I wanted to shoot with as low of a speed stock for every scene as possible. So we shot as much 50 as we could or 250 for interiors. You know, we should just shoot a lot of 500 just because I really actually love the way the refineries looked and sunsets looked with 500 T. So yeah, the sunsets um, are gorgeous yeah. in it. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's another thing with shooting with a small crew and, and being so flexible where it's like, oh God, look at the clouds. They're going to get a good sunset this evening. Let's move over to the corner where we can shoot him riding his bike by or walking by because it's going to be epic. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like we were able to be so flexible and, and shoot things right at the right time. We would like hurry up and wait a lot, you know, especially around sunset for the right light. And I don't feel like I ever was really upset with the with the time of day we were shooting something. That's often one of my biggest things on about prep is like just working with the schedule and finding the best time to shoot something. And it really paid off, I think, with Red Rocket, with all the beautiful sunsets and, and interesting light. And Yeah, and I, I, that's kind of one of the advantages of working with a small crew, because if you don't have like a massive company to move or to pivot, then it gives you, as you mentioned, just a little bit more flexibility. Talk to us if you can just a little bit about working with the small crew. I've worked with you a few times. Sometimes it's been with a very large crew. Sometimes it's been with a super small crew and you like have the ability to work with both yeah. so well. Not everybody can do that. But talk to us about, you know, this micro crew and how you guys were able to gel and, and get something really beautiful out. Yeah. I mean, so I have never worked with a crew this small. So I, I would just want to throw that out. <laughs> I mean, at least on a feature film, this was like Cretia, which was like my first, you know, feature. Yeah. Well, not really my first, but like my first successful feature. I will start this by saying in so many ways, this film for me was a huge like homecoming film. It felt like returning to Texas, shooting a micro budget film with a micro crew just like i did with Cretia, mm -hmm. which kind of started my career so like this was like a perfect not bookend but like a full circle like back to my origins and shooting super 16 on an sr3 is exactly like how i learned how to shoot in film school so Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and like I, you know, I grew up going to the to Galveston where we shot. I, I drive by Texas City and see the refineries, and in so many ways, this just felt like a big homecoming. So, as far as the crew, I mean, I brought my gaffer from Waves, Chris Hill, mm -hmm. and he was the gaffer and the grip on this, and that's all I had. Wow, <laughs> your lighting was Chris. Chris was doing all the lighting. He was rigging. He rigged the camera to the roller coaster which is like you know he's a gaffer <laughs> right <laughs> but like you know me and him like brainstormed when we put this thing together and rigged it and uh so i mean i was helping him a lot with like setting lights and hauling gear and, and all that kind of stuff and then i had a first ac and a second ac who was also the loader jesse villu and adam lichtenberger and um that was my crew and we had a sound guy alex altman and alex coco was our producer slash ad which meant he was mainly a producer right <laughs> so that was it so that is micro yeah <laughs> it's like a documentary crew right I mean, it is a documentary crew so that's what we were working with i noticed you know when i was watching the credits i saw the film with my wife and she was like wow the post crew is like four times the size of the production crew in the credits so it was like fun to see. But I mean, it just goes to show, you know, like if you have the right people, if you have the right story and you have, as you said earlier, if you're down, you don't need 
a massive crew, you can still make something incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I think we were able to do way more on this film with very few people with very little money mm-hmm. than if this was like a union film or something. You Absolutely. Know? With a, if this was a union film, it'd be like two people sitting in a room the whole time. Yeah. We wouldn't have been able to do any of the like live driving, rigging a camera to a roller coaster, like all of these like big locations, big company moves that would take us, you know, like, literally like 30 minutes we we had a sprinter van we basically had like a sprinter van and then like a mini sprinter van <laughs> the camera sprinter was bigger than the grip electric sprinter and that's it that's all we were we were just everybody like drove their own cars or um like a van that's how we like moved from space to space we didn't have like any pass vans we didn't have any stuff like that it was just like a couple of rental vans some rental trucks we got trucks so we'd fit into texas a little bit better um <laughs> And then the the two crew vehicles, which the camera car was like, or the camera sprinter was essentially like a film changing tent right. as well as like have space for a cart and gear. And, and then, so Chris's uh, grip electric van was basically outfitted to look like a Ghostbusters vehicle. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's like his thing. He's like a big Ghostbusters fan. So it had like, literally like speakers that would like play the Ghostbusters theme song. <laughs> and That's awesome. uh, it, had like, it had like the big ghost with the like red circle across it, you know, and like there were always people like pulling up and taking photographs of it and stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, when you're working that small though, I think it kind of, it gives you like the flexibility to like just move so fast, shoot the right time. Like, you know, a, a moving the camera would take as long as it, literally took me it was just so fast yeah it's it's a lot faster so fast and so easy and like there was no hair and makeup i mean hair and makeup was basically the actors doing their own hair and makeup and then shei ching one of the uh producers was kind of like also doing continuity was also doing keeping track of wardrobe uh right right it, it was like a handful of producers who were doing like 10 jobs and then it was like the four crew members who are doing like the technician part of it, you know? Right. So cool. Final question I kind of want to get into is just hearing from your perspective, how Sean, as you mentioned, he works not just on this film, so many of his films, he works with first time actors and is just able to get these like incredible, incredible performances. So if you can take us into like what it's like being on set with him as he's like, you know, just creating, I don't know, He's like a whisperer. Like <laughs> he's just he's what's his what's the vibe that he sets on set to get these like incredible realistic performances from first time actors? I think a lot of it is the casting. Mm-hmm. I think when Sean finds people, I think you know there's something that draws him to people, and I think he sees like a potential in them. One of the the greatest finds, you know, Susanna, of course, playing Strawberry. He met her, him and his wife uh, Sam. They met Susanna at uh, outside of the ArcLight. Oh wow! They, they, they just saw her and they like got her contact information. They're like, "Wow, you look amazing! You know, you'd be great in a film. Um, let's get your contact." And then, like, you know, a year or two later, they hit her up and they're like, "Hey, we have a film that you would be great for." That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then and then I think one of the other ones is uh, Brittany. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah, and, and then Brenda, she plays the mom, and just like those characters, those people, we just you just found them or they found us really like 
Brittany was walking down the street, walking her dog and Sean saw her and was like, Hey, you have like a thing about you. You have great energy. Like, do you want to be in the film? And then one of Sean's secret weapons is actually Sam. His, his wife is a, she's an acting coach. Oh, that's cool. And Sam does a lot. You know, she works with the actors once they are, you know, cast. Sometimes I think she helps feel out if they can actually act or not. Yeah. And also she works with them and helps find their special thing, you know, that we can use that works that they can latch on to or that we can latch on to. It's just she's she's an acting guru. So she's really a big part of it. And then on set, like Sean is like a very meticulous and very technical director, like more than I think people might realize. Yeah. You know, it's almost like on some level it felt like a Wes Anderson or Noah Baumbach, like just obsessing over like every little detail of the frame. And like every movement of the actors and everything is like got to be exactly timed out and perfect. So like Sean is kind of like the mastermind that crafts it and puts it all together. I think his energy is just so good that he attracts good energy. He has a way to just like find the humanity in, in moments and work with actors in the moment. And he just has the gift for that. It's It's hard to like say, I think some people just have it. Yeah. Some people won't. Yeah. Know? It's just innate. And as you said, like he finds the humanity in these people. That's what so much of his films are about. You know, it's just like humanity. Yeah. And I think he understands the script so well and he understands the technical side of it so well that like, you know, I think a, a big thing that also people might not realize is that like Sean is like a genius editor. Right. Right. So you know, some of the performances that you might think are like the most amazing performances are literally Sean just being a mad genius, obsessive editor and crafting a performance in the edit. He can do that like no other person I've ever seen. You know, so I think it's a mixture of a lot of different things. And he knows on set when he has to rely on the edit and he knows when he can play something in a master. Right given an actor's performance and he'll tweak a performance and tweak it and tweak it, tweak it. Cause we want that to work in a master so well. And I think we did that a lot, for example, with Lil, the mom, Yeah, you know, like she just had this gift. She would give us these golden nuggets of like ad libs, you know, and like, but then like sometimes she would just be nodding off during a scene or like couldn't keep it together. And so we'd have to adapt to her and be like, okay, well, Brenda needs a break. So we're going to take, a 10 minute break and we're going to come back. So we have to be adaptive, but like as far as the craft, like we would commit to it and we'd really, really, really want to get the scene how we wanted to shoot it. So a lot of it was just pure perseverance. A lot of the technical side of working with the actors was perseverance and just being obsessed with getting it exactly how we wanted it to be in the film. So we would just do it and do it and do it. And then on the other hand, there were some times where we knew we were going to cut. We knew there was going to be a cut there. So we would literally get a line read of a line like 20 different ways. Right. Or, right. And knowing that we're going to cut to it and then cut away from it, we would commit to that. And then we would just craft the performance in the edit. So it's really just being like a wise filmmaker and, you know, being smart about like what works and what doesn't work and quickly deviating and knowing that you can that there's a way to make something work either with magic or 
on the day with like clever blocking or just filmmaking, just clever filmmaking. But another thing too, I will say is that Simon, you know, we always had Simon and we always had Brie. So with Simon and Brie, they could be kind of like our secret weapon or like our ambassadors to the first time actors. You know, they would kind of help get the performance that Sean needed, you know, so Sean would work with the professional actors to kind of bend the other actors' performances, you know? Right, right. So it's like all of these like different ways of getting it are used. I mean, there's no rules. It's like on the day, whatever is working, whatever gets the best end product is what we would do. That sounds so awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. You guys did such incredible work with this. And one more thing before we depart. After the year of COVID where we weren't able to go to the theater, were you able to see this film on the big screen yet? I did. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? Just seeing your work, like you said, this was kind of like full circle, a homecoming film. What was your experience like watching it in the theater? Oh man, it was awesome seeing it in the theater. I feel like one thing that I felt in the theater that I wasn't expecting as much was just the immersion in like Texas city, you mm-hmm. know, like the location where we shot it just felt like, I don't know. It just felt, it felt like um, more than other films. It felt like a sense of place. Yeah. And a sense of just like, being transported. This was my first feature shooting on film. Right. So also there was just the magic of seeing like all of the the nuance and all of the like magic of film and like the texture and like I could watch the film over and over again in theaters and just take away different things and different like details and different levels of depth. And I think there's a lot to unpack with the film, but I just had a really good time in theaters watching it. I'm actually probably going to go watch it again. I did too, my friend. It's a great watch in the theaters. So my friends at home, it's playing in theaters now. Go check it out. Red Rocket. And please let us know what you think. Drew, as always, you did incredible work. I'm so happy for you, brother. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, and I, I will say, please watch it in theaters because we shot it for the theatrical experience and it felt like the ultimate payoff when I got to see it on the big screen. Absolutely. Help normalize going back to the cinema and help normalize shooting on film because it's just freaking gorgeous. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate you. And thank you all for listening to Film Forward. We'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.